Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today we're talking about the digestion of macronutrients. Macro, big, nutrients, something that's good for us. <laughs> <laughs> nutrients are basically requirements for life. Okay. And then macro, is it, why are these things called macro? Is it because they're a big thing, a big nutrient, or we just need a lot of it? Well, currently, we, we have a lot of it. I would say we probably have too much of it, but they are big molecules. So the three big macronutrients we're going to talk about today are proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. Okay, so these are the three main nutrients that we would have in our diet, and we're basically today going through how do we digest them. Yes. To the point of absorption? Yeah, that's it. We finish at absorption because we have done an episode on the digestive system, and okay. we go through... Uh, all the different functions of all the different primary and accessory organs of the GIT. All right, so today we'll go through each one individually. Is that the best way to do it? Well, yeah, we'll go through each in individual protein, fat, carb, okay. and we'll begin at the mouth and we'll finish at its site of absorption. Okay. And then we'll go to the next macronutrient and then we'll summarize with an example. A meal. Yeah. What's your favorite meal? My favorite meal. Uh, my favorite meal is anything you have not cooked. <laughs> All right. So I think the example that we're going to do is a hamburger yeah. with chips and a milkshake. Makes no difference, but sure. <laughs> no, I just want to make sure all the macronutrients are in there. And and more. <laughs> okay. And so more. let's start with probably the most abundant of the three, which is carbohydrate. Okay. Firstly, okay. I want to ask you, what are carbs? Um, I think the name is basically how it's described. So carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. Yeah. Is that right? right? Yeah, that's so right. So it's just a repeating unit of that, isn't it? Yep. So I always get this mixed up. So is it CH2O as the monomer? Uh, as, as glucose, you mean? 
No, no, just as a carbohydrate. It's just a repeating unit of carbon, glucose. hydrogen, two hydrogen, and oxygen. Is that right? Uh, if, if you look at the central portion of the chain, then, then yes. Okay. But it's basically just carbons, hydrogens, and oxygens. Okay, all right. But I guess my point was there's always double hydrogen in these molecules. Well, only to like the other I said, two, right? the, yeah, the middle part. Yeah, of the chain. Okay. I wouldn't say that. All right, okay. I'll just say carbons, hydrogens, and oxygens because you can have um, things happening to the end of the group, like double bonds to oxygen, for example. All right. So carbohydrates are water soluble. Yes. Okay. Um, they're the major source in our diet for calories. Would you agree? And, a, uh, and, yes. a, and a, calorie, a calorie, one calorie is the energy required to increase the temperature by a degree, isn't that right? The, the temperature of what? Uh, water? Yes. A kilogram of water by one degree. Is one calorie. Is one calorie. Okay. So you've actually got calorie with a small c and calorie with a big c. Calorie with a small c is the one that physicists use for energy. Okay. Calorie with a big c is basically what we refer to as uh, kilojoules. It's a kilocalorie, right? And so, so kilojoule, yeah. which we traditionally use in Australia and the UK, yeah, and calorie more so in the states. Okay, so it's usually four times a kilojoule, right, to a calorie. Is yeah, that it was right? a four point two or something. Okay. Yeah. Oh, anyway, let's. But anyway, so anyway, it's 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 energy. Energy to be able to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, now the most abundant type of carbohydrates, at least in its simplistic form, is glucose, and yeah. that's most important in the body to produce energy, ATP. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you'd say that you'd say that carbohydrate itself is a polymer. So it's made up of many individual subunits. Now obviously it's made up of atoms, but we don't look at it as though the individual atoms, because when we take a big long carbohydrate molecule, the polymer, the aim isn't to break it up into the individual atoms. It's to break it up into its simplest micronutrient, okay. which ultimately will be glucose. But it could also be galactose and fructose. Okay. But those that's, two... That's a good point. So, those two turn into glucose anyway. So let's get to that in a second, and that's how we nutritionally um, take in carbohydrates in our diet. Okay? So 40 to 60% of calories in our diet, this is probably a Western diet, is based on carbohydrates. Wow. Okay. Um, as we've said, the, the the main use is for calories, yes? Yes, that's right, for energy. Okay, all right. So when we look at nutrition, um, the way that we are taking in, the way that we take in carbohydrates are, one, in the most complex form, which we call complex carbohydrates, yep. and these would be considered like starch. Yes. The most... Abundant types of starch is uh, amylose and amylopectin. So, do we know what the difference is between amylose and amylopectin? Uh, it's just their branch. And amylose is a is a kind of a linear structure of just glucose, 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 glucose a big long chain. Yep. Whereas amylopectin is branched. That's right. And so it needs slightly different hydrolysis or breaking down compared to just splitting each individual glucose off. Now, this is... When we look at starch, starch is the main way that humans take in multiple repeating forms of glucose. And like you said, amylose, amylopectin. But you can have carbohydrates in the form of plant carbohydrates, which are called cellulose. Okay, so these are the things we can't digest. Yes. And you can have it as meat carbohydrates, which is glycogen. 
Oh, okay. So that's glycogen is a polysaccharide. Have we said polysaccharide yet? No. So a saccharide means sugar. Okay. Poly, many. Yep. And so complex carbohydrates can also be termed polysaccharide. Is that fair? Yeah. The most abundant in our diets as humans are starches, but also in the animal form is glycogen, yes. which is actually the way we store our glucose in our liver mm. and our muscle and for, a, for a later date. This okay. is but the, this is a bit separate to what we're doing now. Yeah, the way I like to think about it is that if we were to just look at the average, you know, ingestion of starch. We take starch in, it's made up of repeating subunits of glucose. We break these repeating subunits down to individual glucose, and then we either use it to make energy or we store that glucose again in our muscles, kidneys, or liver in the form of glycogen, which is simply clicking those glucose molecules back together. But because we store it in our muscles, that's also the animal storage of glucose. Okay. Is glycogen. All right. And cellulose, that's just what cows deal with. We don't actually have the so, enzymes to but break the, them But down. that cellulose is the most abundant carbohydrate on the planet. Correct. But we just... So you could eat this... So this piece of paper is cellulose. Mm. So I could eat that. It wouldn't be very good for me because I can't break it down. That's right. But, but a cow or a goat or a sheep could. Yeah. So your goat would definitely eat that. And that's not because of the goats doing it. It's the bacteria that's doing it for the goat, I believe. Uh, I was under the impression that they also had the enzyme available okay. to break the alpha-1-4 bond. I thought, and listeners correct us here, you can email us. Or, Maybe we're both right. Because uh, you look at, say, uh, herbivores, which are mostly absorbing or eating cellulose, but also termites, yeah. which are like eating your house down. Mm. Um, they eat the cellulose, but my understanding, they have the bacteria in their intestinal tract yeah. or like their stomach, like for cows. That's a big vat of bacteria that kind of ferments it and then liberates the glucose that way. But, yeah. But we could be wrong. Uh, I'm not. The other thing is the most other abundant polysaccharide in our diet is fiber. Oh, yeah. And this is essentially undigestible. Mm. And that means it becomes bulk and it's important for... Lax, like a laxative effect. It pushes that fecal material through. So it's very important to have this in your diet, otherwise you get blocked up. With water, though. Otherwise, you can eat it and still get blocked up. Okay, because it's too dry and... Do the experiment. Take some Metamucil, put a whole bunch of it into a cup with little water, it becomes solid as a rock. Putting in a cup with a lot of water becomes a jelly-like substance. Think about which one you'd like to pass through. Okay. So if you're going to eat a lot of indigestible carbohydrates, drink a lot of water with it. This is the problem that old people have and they become constipated. Right. They love their fibre, but they forget to do their water. Oh, right. yeah. Good point, good point. So just to, just to clarify or reiterate, the polysaccharides or the complex carbohydrates for us essentially starts starches, mm. which we get in like bread, cereals, yeah. certain vegetables like potato, and dietary fibre. Yep. Then we go into what we call a disaccharide. Mm -hmm. These are important because these are two repeating units. Yes. Instead of complex repeating units, these have just got two... Sugars stuck together. All right, perfect. Yeah. And that's why we have di. And what are the two main disaccharides? Well, I thought there was three. Of? Well, there are, but okay. What are the three? All right, sucrose. Yep. Uh, lactose. Yep. And maltose. Yes. Is that right? That's right. And then we want to go down to the simple form. But, okay, so what is lactose? Oh, okay, what's it made up of? Yeah. We'll start with sucrose. This is the, probably one of the most abundant uh, 
carbohydrates in Western diet, yeah, in the Western world, um, you would find this in table sugar. So mm-hmm. you put this in your coffee today, a, sa- yeah. a sachet of sucrose into your coffee. Mm. So this is a glucose and a fructose joined together. Okay. Okay. Happy with that? Yep. Move, moving to lactose, which is the most abundant diet in infants. Okay. So from the mother's breast milk. So milk sugar. Or from powdered milk, mm. like, um, uh, what's it called? Formula. Formula, there we yeah. go. So that's lactose. Or cow milk. Okay, or cow milk. Um, so this is made or up... Or goat milk. Okay. Or, or camel milk. You can keep going. Cat milk. Sheep. Rat. Oh. Like the Simpsons. <laughs> so it's glu- glucose yeah. and galactose for lactose. Glucose and galactose so creates lactose. Lactose is yep. made up of glucose and galactose. Yep. And then finally you've got maltose, which I think is just a breakage of the polysaccharide, mm-hmm. which is just two glucose joined what about together. Fructose and galactose together. That's sucrose, which we've No, no, no. Fructose and galactose? Yes. I'm not sure. Nothing. It doesn't it's not possible to create a disaccharide with those two. Okay, brilliant. Just and then, that was and then finally, we move on to our monosaccharides, which yeah. is important because we need to get to this form mm. for absorption. Okay, so this is what we've got to break everything down to. The three monosaccharides are glucose, fructose, and galactose. Yeah. Okay? That's right. Happy with that? Yep. And the main one we want is glucose. And you should probably just be aware that uh, fructose and galactose will ultimately turn into glucose. In the liver. In the liver. And okay. there's going to be organs and structures that will use them individually for energy, like sperm, for example, like fructose. That's all they want. But ultimately, we want it to turn into glucose. Okay. All right. So now we've set the scene. We've now, we're now taking a bite of some bread. Yeah? Okay. Some carbs. So now we've got to figure out how we go from a complex into the mono. All right. So we start, obviously, you start with your food in your mouth. Hopefully. Um, so it goes in there and we chomp it up. With your teeth. Now, if we were Matt, this process would last two seconds. If we were me, it would last significantly longer and the oral phase of digestion would be relatively significant. Around about 30 seconds. Okay. Between 10 to 30 seconds is the oral phase should be. And that's going to include two forms of digestion. Mechanical and chemical. So mechanical is chewing. Yep. And chemical is saliva. That's right. Okay. Well, the chemical is the enzymes within saliva. All right. Yeah. So, for this case, we've just got starch. We put it into your mouth. You've chewed it up into smaller bits. And your saliva adds the liquid portion to make it more mushy. Yeah. And it's hanging around in your mouth for 30 seconds. Now, what? let's just go with starch only. Mm-hmm. What's happening there digestion-wise? So, what's the enzyme? Okay. So, like you said, the en- So, your teeth can't break the starch into... Single glucose molecules on their own? No, can't break the molecular bonds. Okay, so, you so need we need molecular, molecular scissors that we call enzymes. Okay, so what's the one important for carbohydrates here? So it's called amylase. That breaks down carbs. Now, you've got three major salivary glands within the oral cavity and some minor scattered salivary glands. The three major are the parotid, the paired parotids. Which means what? Near the ear. Good. They're the biggest one. The sublingual. Under. Tongue. Yeah. Submandibular. Under. Jaw. 
Mandible. Mandible. Right. So these are the three major, and like I said, the others are scattered. So if you have a look at them, they all produce saliva. Saliva, like Matt said, predominantly water, fluid stuff. It helps mush up that food and protect the oral cavity while you're breaking all this stuff down. But they also... And it's all... Oh, yeah, go on. Or at least the parotid gland produces a good chunk of that amylase. Now, you're going to have the submandibular and sublingual saliva glands, and what you're going to find is that the submandibular produces small amounts of amylase, the prodded produces large amounts of amylase, and the sublingual doesn't really produce much amylase at all. So does that mean the three salivary glands Mm. produce... Different things. Is that right? Different concentrations or types of mucin, which turns into mucus, so the viscosity of the mucus is different. Also, the other things that aren't involved in digestion, like... Um, uh, antimicrobials. Antimicrobial agents and so forth. Lysosomes and stuff. All that type of stuff. So, if you have a look, prodded salivary glands release 30% of the saliva. Or the, they are big. They are big. Submandibular release 65%. That's right? interesting. Yeah. And the sublingual, 15%. But you said in this case, the prodded produces more amylase? Correct. Okay. Yeah. All uh, right. So, what does the amylase do? So, amylase are molecular scissors that break what we call the alpha 1 to 4 glycosidic bonds between the monosaccharide molecules that are linked together. So, basically, glucose and fructose and galactose are pretty much the same molecule. They're just arranged differently. So, C6H12O6, right? So, 6 carbon, 12 hydrogen, 6 oxygen molecules arranged in a... Um, what what would you call it? A cyclical or a circular or a... What's their pattern of arrangement, would you say? Polygon? Yeah, something like that. So anyway, they're arranged in that fashion and the first carbon binds to the fourth carbon repeatedly okay. throughout these molecules. And so basically what the amylase does is it chops, snips those... So, up. so for the starch, the potato that you just eaten, essentially you're starting to slowly chop the molecule up and you might be liberating single glucose molecules? Yeah, you'd be liberating some single glucose molecules, but because it's so long, you know, you just, you're pretty much chopping it relatively at random, wherever's available, the alpha 1 to 4 bonds. Um, it doesn't mean you get to chop all of them, but you get to chop a good chunk of them. Okay. Um, but it means you're going to liberate some monosaccharides, some disaccharides, and you're still going to have a bunch of polysaccharides. Okay. So there's not a huge amount of digestion done here at this point, especially, especially for me. Um, yeah, not a, not a huge amount, but there is some breakdown. I mean, people used to say that the breakdown of carbohydrates in the oral cavity was insignificant to what happens in the intestines. Yeah. But some studies have shown that if you take somebody that chews and allows for this digestion to, to happen in the mouth over 30 seconds and compare it to somebody who just swallows the food whole... Like me. Like you, you eat like a duck, I eat like a human being, that it actually alters your blood glucose levels. Right. So there is some significant digestion happening, at least for carbohydrates, in the oral cavity. I think this is especially significant in two populations. One in children, mm. who probably take a lot longer to eat their food... And Food just slops around their mouth and goes in and out multiple times. Yep. And they've got a, a lot of saliva in their food. Yeah. 
you got a two-year-old, you probably can sympathise with The saliva there. is everywhere. <laughs> okay. And the other population which is interesting is in more a pathology state, which we'll come across this a number of times in today, is students. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. People with be. cystic fibrosis. Oh, yeah. And these are people who have essentially many things going wrong, like in the, in, in the lungs, but for today, the pancreas. And so they're not able to produce or at least secrete uh, the enzymes into the uh, intestines. Mm. And so... Because of calcium channel problems, right? Oh, sorry, chloride chloride channel problems. Yeah, so they might be instructed to hold the food there longer in their mouth to improve that digestion of carbohydrates. Okay. And there's also people who have things like xerostomia, right? Where they don't secrete any fluid. Yeah, from sure. the saliva glands, and the mouth becomes very dry and damaged and hard to oral digestion. Okay. All right, so, so that's the mouth done. That's the mouth. We then swallow. Okay, the so food moves into the esophagus. Nothing happens there apart from transport. Yep. So the esophagus, no absorption, no chemical digestion. You could probably argue there's a bit of mechanical digestion because of the role of peristalsis. You know, you get a little bit of segmentation of food moving down through the esophagus, but basically it will deposit this busted up food bolus into the stomach and the stomach is not just a pit for digestion it is a dynamic organ that will jackknife in upon itself because has multiple muscle layers in addition to the two that all the rest of the GIT has it has one more muscle layer called an oblique muscle and this allows for food to be thrown around in the stomach so this is how the stomach mechanically digests but let's have a chat about whether there's any chemical digestion of these carbohydrates in the stomach well my understanding was that if the enzyme has locked onto its substrate so it's already active the amylase from the saliva can be still active in your stomach yeah but any other amylase that's not active with its substrate it will be deactivated by the ph of the stomach gotcha okay so in addition to inactivation or continuing what's happened from the mouth. Is there any release of sugar-breaking molecules here? Any amylase? Not that I'm aware sucrase, of. Sucrase, lactase, anything like that coming out from the stomach? I don't believe so, but I could be wrong. Look, we're going to say, generally speaking, no. But I'm sure you'll find a publication that says, yeah. yeah, there's some cells that release a little bit of this stuff. Is it clinically relevant? Probably not. Yeah. So we're just going to say the stomach doesn't play a significant role in carbohydrate digestion. Yeah. So what it will do is over time, it'll slowly squirt. Now, obviously, it's going to be mixed up with acid and fluid and a whole bunch of other stuff in there. And it'll slowly, and this is now termed chyme, and it'll yeah. slowly squirt this chyme into the first part of the small intestines called the duodenum. duodenum. And so now what we've got is some polysaccharides, some disaccharides, some monosaccharides squirted in to the duodenum, first part of the small intestines. This is the C-shaped structure, which has an opening called the ampulla of Vader, which okay, for the pancreas. allows for some pancreas to s- s- secrete stuff into and also for the gallbladder and liver to secrete stuff into, right? Mm-hmm. There's two tubes coming together at the duodenum at the pretty much the middle of the C-shape. What's happening now that we've got carbs entering the duodenum? Yeah, so we've got now a bulk amount of food, not really food. Kind. Kind, all right. So this is just mushed up stuff. Yeah. 
but we're still in this in the context of starch. We're still basically still in starch. So mostly polysaccharides with some dye and yeah. monosaccharides there. And so you need to squirt a whole lot more amylase into this bulk chyme okay. to do some more breaking down before you can get to the point of the absorption. And okay. this is this is small intestine. So if you're saying so, are you saying that the intestines? Do the, do the intestines create the amylase, or does the amylase come from somewhere else to be squirted in? Yeah, so for the amylase, it comes from the pancreas, so it's called pancreat, pancreatic amylase. All right. Okay. So pancreatic amylase, as we're going to talk about shortly, gets squirted in with other enzymes, right? Yeah, and we'll come back to that as a whole collective once we do a final recap with the hamburger. So what stimulates the pancreatic amylase to be squirted into the duodenum? I would imagine just the presence of chyme. The presence of chyme, absolutely. So a couple of things actually stimulate it, right? So as as these substances move through, there are cells in the duodenum called enteroendocrine cells. Yeah. So entero meaning... Intestines. Endocrine meaning... Uh, producing hormones. Yeah. So basically, these cells get stimulated by a whole bunch of stuff. So they really don't care if it's carbs coming through, proteins coming through, or fats coming through. They get stimulated by these subunits. They also get stimulated by acid coming in from the chyme. Also get stimulated by acetylcholine as well. So a whole bunch of stuff stimulates them. Would you also have um, a parasympathetic neural response from just the process of eating? My assumption would be, you know, because you're going to have you know, cephalic phases, so the brain phase of eating, thinking about food, uh, the oral phase and the gastric phase, all these play an important parasympathetic stimulatory role, which probably sends efferents out from the brain to stimulate so motor, responses. motor response to these neuroendocrine cells to release their rel- the the relevant pancreas, hormones. Maybe. And the pancreas, yeah. I'd say. So basically these neuroendocrine cells release two important hormones that everyone should know. We'll talk about them now, but they're going to be released when we talk about the other macronutrients as okay. well, right? These two hormones are cholecystokinin yep. and secretin. So secretin's important for this context. Cholecystokinin's more important for fats. Uh, well, cholecystokinin's important in this context too, because cholecystokinin stimulates the release of the pancreatic juices. So oh, does it? it actually I thought stimulates... it was purely just gallbladder. No, no, no. So CCK is named after what it does with the gallbladder. Yeah. So you're right. Really important for fat digestion because cholecystokinin literally means contraction of the gallbladder. Gallbladder kinetics. Yep. So movement of the gallbladder. So it tells the gallbladder to contract, which squirts out bile. We'll talk about that later. That's for fats, like Matt said. But CCK, because it's a hormone, travels in the bloodstream to the pancreas. Specifically, a group of cells called acinar cells or acinar cells. These cells produce all the enzymes that we need to break down carbs, fats, and proteins. But in this case, we're just thinking about the carbs. So CCK stimulates acinar cells to release amylase into the pancreatic duct, which squirts it into the duodenum. Okay. Right? So with this big mushy mix of potato, we're just focusing on potato now. All you've had is potato. Oh, I thought we were eating bread. No, I own potato. Okay. Um, This big mushy mass of chyme potato is now being thrown all this pancreatic amylase. That's right, because of CCK. And now the amylase is just basically breaking those chained amylose and amylopectin into its individual 
probably disaccharide. Yeah, so it could be sucrose, it could be lactose, it could be maltose, or it could even be the monosaccharides, glucose, galactose, and fructose. Okay. So, um, it's getting down to a disaccharide level. Mm. Okay. Now, it's important to, to note now, from the disaccharides, what were the three disaccharides again? The three disaccharides are going to be maltose, yeah. like you said, but predominantly they're going to be sucrose and lactose. Okay. So the way that these three are digested aren't from the enzyme from the pancreas, rather they're on the intestinal wall. And how would you describe the intestinal wall in the small intestines, at least? Well, so they're called brush border. So it's like having a comb lining the wall of your intestines, this furry little comb. And why is that? Why would that be so important? So a couple of reasons. It's got a whole bunch of um, uh, microvilli and villi, which are little fingertip like projections, or even fingertips upon fingertip-like projections, which increase the surface area. For okay. two reasons. It increases the surface area so more stuff can touch the walls for absorption, but also increases the amount of stuff that can be secreted out of the glands within the brush border cells. Okay. All right. So this is important, these brush borders, these hairs on hairs. And so are they all throughout the small intestines? Or are, they only in the, are we still in the duodenum? Well, yeah, we're in this. We're definitely in the duodenum. Okay. But I'm not sure how how far along this projects. Yeah, as you move through the small intestine. Let's just say generically. Do you want me to tell you, you the answer? Oh, you know it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. sorry. So as we move through the small intestines, you find that the brush border cells start to diminish, and by the time we get to the ileum, they're nearly absent. Okay. All right. So with these brush borders, they produce a disaccharide enzyme. Okay. So you said you got lactose. Yep. Sucrose. Yep and maltose, maltose. Yeah. these brush borders produce the enzymes for each. So okay. we have lactase, All right. um, sucrase, yeah. and maltase. So if it ends in A's, it's an enzyme. Yes. Okay. So the last part of digestion has to come from these cells. Four carbs. Four carbs. All right. Okay. So if you don't have these enzymes, you won't be breaking the disaccharide into the monosaccharide, therefore you won't have any absorption. Okay. Now can I... Should we... Because we said that and I know this is going back and we hate doing this, but remember we said that the enteroendocrine cells release two hormones, CCK and secretin. Mm. Do you want to just very quickly say what secretin does and then we can forget about it? Sure. So secretin, all it does is go to the pancreas, similar to CCK, and tells interlobular cells of the pancreas to release bicarbonate. Which is what? Uh, it's a base, and that gets squirted into the duodenum, and that just neutralizes the incoming acid. And so I think that's just important for completion's yeah. sake. Not necessarily for digestion, but for completion's sake. Which, in a anatomical uh, importance, yeah. that the duct that secretes a lot of the bicarbonate is the accessory duct, mm. which is higher than the main pancreatic duct. Oh, so it's not the same is, duct. Which is close. I mean, there probably is bicarbonate with that as well. Mm. But it's higher, closer to the stomach. All right. And so hopefully the neutralization of the stomach acid has already taken place. Yeah. Or already taken place as it hits the main pancreatic duct spot. Gotcha. So, so when, it doesn't damage anything. So once the enzymes come in, because the enzymes from the pancreas probably prefer to be in a more of a basic or neutral state yeah. than in an acid state. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay? Yeah. So the take-home point here, because we're almost done with the, with the carbohydrates, is to get the last part of digestion for absorption, you need to get the disaccharide broken into its monosaccharide. Yeah. So you need to get down to the glucose, fructose, and galactose level. Right. And 
The enzymes that do the last bit of breaking down are from the brush borders, which are the lactase, sucrase, sucrase and maltase. Now, there's some important clinical points here. Right. As we know with lactose, lactose is the most abundant sugar for infants because the diets for infants is usually milk-based. Mm. So lactose is the most abundant sugar in milk. Yeah, so most children in the world, most infants in the world, will be having uh, high amounts of lactose. Yep. And so they don't need amylase along the way. They just need the brush borders to break it down. Yep. Okay. Now, as we get older, adults, there's a number of adults populations in the world that have problems producing enough lactase yep. in their brush borders. Like Asian populations, African-American populations are particularly ha- struggle with doing this. So they can develop a condition called lactose intolerance. Yes. Which basically means you're not breaking the lactose into glucose, galactase, to be able to absorb, that therefore it remains in your intestines and you can't absorb it. So what happens to it? Well, it remains as bulk within the intestines because it's not getting pulled in to the cells of the intestines and ultimately into the blood. It's staying in the hollow lumen of the gut and anytime you have a high concentration of stuff on one side of a membrane compared to another... Water likes to move towards that high concentration, and so it pulls water into the hollow lumen of the gut, which is called osmotic diarrhea, and okay. comes out the other end. Yes, that's one. And but also the lactose. By the time moves. it gets to the large intestines, yeah. uh, the bacteria go, "Oh goody, it's dessert time," and they break down. Because you got a lactose. lot of bac- you got a lot of bacteria in your large bowel, right? Yes, that's where most of your whole body's microbiota live. Okay. And so they see the lactose lactose and they go, this is delicious. Let's break this up. And in their process of metabolizing lactose, they release methane. And this methane comes out of... Also a lot of carbon dioxide, a lot of hydrogen. But the methane is what we want to talk about here because that gives you your very dirty, smelly, lactose intolerant farts. Oh, is it? So it's smelly? Yeah. Okay. I'm not lactose intolerant. Okay. I know you, people who are, and just, they love eating just, ice cream. You just smell. They um, just they go. Oh well, this is uh, this is not going to be. This is worth tonight. it. Well, not for me, it wasn't. <laughs> I think another interesting point that I read is um, the lactase enzyme or the transportation of lactase breaking down into its mono- monosaccharides seems to be inhibited by glucose in the area. Really? So if you have too much glucose, apparently that inhibits the lactase. Makes it worse. And makes the breaking down problem. So so anytime I go get ice cream with a mate who's got lactose intolerance. It could be the sugar with it. The sugar's making him make it worse. crap himself. <laughs> okay. All right. um, and just, again, for completion's sake, it's probably good to know that for our entire evolutionary history, apart from the past 15 odd 20,000 years, it was the normal thing, I say in quotations, to have your lactose gene turned on up until the age of about four and then turned off. So that's, that was the normal, that was the norm. However, mutations occur within populations mm-hmm. and those who tend to have animals that produce milk, uh, were selected for because once this gene stays on due to a mutation, they can digest the milk, get more energy. They were there for... Because it would be good food source, wouldn't it? Absolutely. You want calories, drink yeah. milk, right? And so these people tended to survive in the populations, pass their genes on. So often the Mediterranean European populations who took cheese... Well, it's interesting because I, I, I've been reading a book on 
basically the the foods that have tamed. Tamed, yes, very good. Book. Very good. Um, but basically, the foods or the species that have changed human evolution. Yeah. And it was thought that the way we um, learnt, maybe, well, the diet of maybe yogurts and cheeses was that we used to carry water around in like stomachs or maybe bladders of animals yeah. as the receptacle. Yeah. And it was thought that by putting the, the milk into a, like a stomach, um, there's enzymes in the stomach and intrinsic to it wow. that would have started to break down the, the milk. And then by the time you've drink drinking your milk by yeah, midday, it's already separated wow. and you started to get cheese. Wow, how's that? Yeah, Even though the stomach's out of the animal. Yeah. It's just a hypothesis. No, that's interesting. But it's interesting. Now, the last part of carb breakdown is indigestible fibers, which you spoke about. Obviously, they're not getting absorbed. Like you said, they push the bulk of the fecal material through. But when they get to the large intestines, some of this indigestible fiber is actually digested by gut bacteria. And what they can do is they can produce products from this indigestible fiber, and these products can be actually quite beneficial to our health. And so we now know that there's an intrinsic association between gut microbiota and health, especially when you feed them high quantities of indigestible fiber. Yeah, okay, so on that point, there are some medical conditions where you have bacterial overgrowths, particularly in the small intestine rather than the large intestine. Yeah. So if you have obstruction, bowel obstruction, or maybe certain um, movement motility issues, you can have an overgrowth of bacteria in the higher end of your intestine, okay. which affects the way that these things are getting broken down. Okay. And that can pr- produce a whole lot of bloating. So the way that they can sometimes test for this is to give certain carbohydrates that we normally can't break down, such as lact- lactose or something like that. Oh, yeah. Not lactose, something <laughs> similar to that. But... When the person ingests it, usually it will just go through you undigested. But yeah. if you've got a bacteria overgrowth, let's say, in your small intestine, it will start breaking this down in your small intestine and you start burping out a whole lot of hydrogen gas, nice. which is indicative of this overgrowth, wow. which can cause all sorts of problems. Problem. Absolutely. Another one just to be aware of is obviously pancreatic issues, most commonly mm. celiac Sorry, um, cystic fibrosis, yep. um, pancreatitis, yep. or tumors in the pancreas would affect amylase secretion. secretion. And the other disease or disorder that's common with carbohydrate is celiac disease, yes. which is your immune system essentially attacks a protein in the wheat. Yeah. But that's not the carbs, that's protein. Yeah. Yeah. But it affects essentially the ingestion of a type of carb. I think this right. is an important point, right? People say that sugar can be inflammatory, but not directly, because when our body, our immune system, targets things for destruction or for attack, it targets antigens, epitopes, protein epitopes, and these protein-based epitopes can't be present on sugars, they must be present on proteins. Does that make sense? Yep. So, all right. One, can I make one final point? As long as I can make one final point as well. So I'll um, make the final point. As we saw with your sugar that you added to your coffee. Oh, yes. Uh, Thanks p- for bringing that a pat- up. <laughs> a particular sugar that's added, it's, it's more common, I think, in the States, mm-hmm. is 
high fructose corn syrup. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a modified type of sugar, which is significantly more sweeter mm. than glucose. And it's very abundant in like soft drinks and candy or lollies. Um, it's in everything. And it's thought that it's good for diabetics because you don't get a blood sugar rush from Jeez. it. Okay. But essentially what it does is it will cause... I mean, you will absorb it and the, and your liver, I guess, will have to modify it from fructose into glucose. So you, yeah. presumably you'll still get the same output. Um, but it's thought because it's so abundant in the food, it overloads the transporter and it can also do the same thing as too much lactose in your large bowel. Oh, and so you get the same... Yourself. Osmotic yeah, diarrhea. It, yeah, and all the bacterial part- oh. parties. Yay. All right. We're done with carbs? I think that's it for carbs. All right. Uh, shall we move on to proteins? Yep. All right. So proteins, first of all, proteins are the macronutrient. It's also a macromolecule, big molecule. Yes. Uh, it will be broken down into its respective amino acids. So this is the, its monomer. So we saw the monomer for carbohydrates being the monosaccharides. That's right. So what's the equivalent? And that's the only way you can absorb it. Yep. So what's the equivalent in proteins? So the equivalent of proteins is the amino acid. So the amino, you have to almost get it to amino acid level yep. to be able to absorb it. An amino acid, so if we spoke about carbohydrates, these are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Prote- uh, amino acids are carbons, hydrogens, oxygens, and nitrogens. So okay. it's got the nitrogen atom added to it. And this is what, why it's called an amine or amino acid is because of the amine portion, which is referring to the nitrogen. And that's usually with a bundle of hydrogen with it. And yeah, there's a whole, yeah, it's... There's so it's either NH3 or NH4, is that right? Which is well, like... Well, a, if it's in the amino acid, NH2. So once it's broken off, mm. so because you can make proteins, you can make energy from proteins, Yeah, your liver would cleave off one end of it, yep. and can be used to remake sugar. Yeah. But the back end, which is the amino end... Yeah, the amine. That will essentially be reformed into, like, ammonia. Yeah, NH3. And that's potentially a problem mm-hmm. in your body, yep. because if you have too much... Well, you know what you do with ammonia around the house. You clean floors and toilets with it. Yeah. You don't want that in your blood. Correct. So your liver has to repackage that into something called urea. Yeah. For a safe excretion through your kidneys. Or uric acid. Yeah. Which is important to know because patients with kidney problems, their urea levels will increase. Yeah. Or their blood urea nitrogen. And that's a problem because it will become toxic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's just a, a side point. But it's important to know because it's probably out of the three macronutrients, it's probably got the most consideration with its excretion. Yes. Whereas so, the other ones can just can be repackaged relatively easy into another sugar. Ah, true. This has to have a consideration on what you're going to do with that amino end. Yeah, we don't actually store excess amino acids. We excrete them. Yep. So we either take proteins in and use it as building blocks for the body, right? Or we break it down and excrete it. Now, this is different to fats, mm-hmm. readily storable, Carbs, readily storable. Yeah. Um, when we look at the protein, so obviously, let's just break down a protein to a polypeptide to an amino acid. Can I just right. make one final point? Yeah. Which is, just finally, if you do have, well, A, you don't want to have excessive amounts of protein in your diet because 
you'll be putting strain on the kidney and liver to excrete them. Mm. And B, patients with kidney issues, you probably have to be, or they have to be probably mindful that you have to limit your protein intake. Yes. Because of the potential of not being able to excrete urea and creatinine, mm. which is going to cause maybe a toxic effect to the body. Yep. So protein reduction you might be you might see in patients with kidney issues. Yep. Okay. So if we look at protein, so protein is a three-dimensional molecule, right? So it's this folded chain of amino acids. Now, if we were to take this chain of amino acids as a linear molecule... So if you're going to do like a, a necklace of pearls... Yep. So each pearl fold, is a different amino acid. Yeah, by a string, which, by a is string. Their, which is their connection there, a bond. And so if you just put it out in a big long line of, of a, the string pearl, yeah. what what is that a 2D structure? That's a polypeptide. Okay. Now, yeah. if you fold it in the big clump, let's yeah. say in the palm of your hand, that's mm-hmm. the 3D. Yes. Okay. And, and that is going to be the tertiary structure. And that's the protein itself. Okay. Uh, and if you were to break up the polypeptide into the individual amino acids, there's about 20 amino acids. Types, yeah. And the way I like to think about amino acids is that, like I said, they're made up of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. On one end, like Matt said, there's the amine group, which is the nitrogen with two hydrogen. On the other end, there's the carboxyl group, which is a carbon with a double bond to oxygen and an OH group. And then in the middle is going to be what we call the characteristic group. This is what makes the amino acid have its particular personality. So some amino acids can be basic or acidic, or some can be positively charged or negatively charged. Some can be hydrophobic or hydrophilic. And these are the personalities of the amino acids. And so this is important because when you click a chain of amino acids together to make a polypeptide, it's these characteristics of the individual amino acids that allow for the polypeptide chain to what looks like randomly fold into the three-dimensional structure because things that are hydrophobic want to move away from the water, things that are hydrophilic want to go towards it, things that are basic want to go to things that are acidic, and things that are positively charged want to go to things that are negatively charged but move away from other things that are positively charged, Mm -hmm. and then bang, it's folded into a three-dimensional structure. Brilliant. All right, so we've now eaten a delicious... One final point I'll make. Okay. You've said this four times, so I don't know how many final points you can make. Um, the abundance of proteins in the arrangement is a lot more than the carbohydrates. Where we saw the carbohydrates can only produce the three macro molecules. Yes. Sorry, the, mo- the, mono, the, mono, the monomer. Mm. Okay. Whereas proteins have 20 different types, which yep. you said with the amino acids. Yeah, about 20 different amino okay. acids. Finally... Um, so in our diet, second finally from that final point, in our diet we have amino acids that we call essential, yes, and amino acids that are considered non-essential. So there's 20 in total. There's I think 13 that your liver can make or resynthesize, but there's seven that you need from your diet. Yes. So this is which are which? What do you mean? Well, which ones are the essential? Which Se- ones are the seven. Oh, the actual name. No, 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 just of, so are the essential ones the one, ones we can make or the ones no. we need to get from our diet? You need to get from your diet. Okay. Now, animal-based proteins are what generally are referred to as complete proteins because they will have those seven essential amino acids in them. Okay. So when you have animal-based proteins... You're getting everything you need. That's right. Whereas plant-based, so if you 
let's say vegan, it could be more difficult to get those seven to be a complete. Well, you're a vego. Are you mindful of this? Does this alter the way you eat your proteins? No, not really. Okay. Uh, I have, but I have dairy and eggs. Okay. Um, but saying that, you can combine. Now, there is the possibility that rice will have all seven in it, so it can be considered a complete. But many traditional cultures that have high amounts of plant-based foods will combine two plant-based products together in their diet. So, for instance, putting the rice with beans or pulses will give you that completeness. Okay. Does that make sense? Sort of. I mean, if the rice already has... Yeah, I'm not sure. It's debatable. Some people, some literatures will say it's not. You still need additional and some say it will have everything you need. All right, let's break these proteins down. In the mouth, so let's just say we're eating some meat as an example, right? Okay. So in the mouth, we have spoken about the saliva, we've spoken about the amylase. Are there any... So firstly, what's the enzyme that breaks down proteins? What's that called? We said amylase breaks down starches. Uh, collectively, they're known as proteases. Um, okay, makes sense. But then you can break those into specifics, like there's some called um, pepsin. Okay. Trypsin. Okay. Chymotrypsin, yep. I think. Pepti... Oh, forget the last one. Peptidases. Pepti... Yeah. Anyway. Carboxypeptidases. That's it. That's yep. it. So, any in the mouth? Are there any proteases of any sort in the... I think it's similar to the stomach. Um, not that I know of, but there's probably... What do you mean similar to the stomach? Like the stomach you know, has remember, heaps of But remember, you said with, remember when you said amylases for the stomach? There's, it's not... Generally considered, oh, gotcha. but there is always a minute amount. So we're going to say no. I'm going to say no. Okay, so no protease in the mouth. So am I wrong? No, I think you're right because okay. you know you can do the experiment. Put a piece of bread in your mouth and leave it in there without chewing. It breaks down and becomes sweet because of the amylase. You can't do that really with proteins. You put a bit of steak in your mouth; it's just going to sit there, right? Stay <laughs> steak in your mouth. So chew, 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 chew. You need to mechanically digest this. This steak up because it's going to contain collagen and a whole bunch of other proteins and then you swallow it again the conduit is the esophagus brings it down to the stomach and now we're at the primary site of protein digestion what do you reckon yes the stomach yes all right right. um two things that's going to happen here for protein digestion um that pearl necklace in its 3d form if you chuck it into acid Mm it kind of starts to denature it. So the pH change... So it unfolds it. Yes. It it kind of wraps it into that linear. So it's just in a big long line now. Because Doesn't... the pH changes the characteristics mm. of those amino acids, like we said. So it goes from the, the necklace in your hand in a big 3D bunch into a big long line on the table in front of you. Yeah. Okay? But it doesn't break the pearls off. No. So this is where you need your enzyme. Okay, so this acid is hydrochloric acid. This comes out of a certain type of cell called a parietal cell. And the parietal cell, when it secretes this acid, its pH is around about 0.8. So really low. So that's enough to digest nearly anything. My shoe? Easily your shoe. It's a big shoe, but easily your shoe. And most of the hydrogen's pumped out through a, a, what we call a hydrogen-potassium ATPase pump. And usually, they're hidden inside the cytoplasm of the cell, of the parietal gland. 
Okay. Um, in the gastric pit? In the gastric pits. So gastric pits are just these grooves deep inside the rugae or folds of the stomach. And the pumps, the hydrogen pumps, they need to pump the hydrogen out, are usually stuck inside the cell and are stimulated to come to the surface by things like gastrin, which is a hormone, and okay. histamine, for example. So they stimulate the translocation of the pumps to the luminal surface of the parietal cell. Okay. Um, so there's acid there now. And what about the... So hydrogen ion is released. Yeah. I've got a really interesting side point. Hydrogen ions released. What happens is an electron is taken away from the hydrogen. Okay. And this electron is given to oxygen and it becomes hydroxide. OH negative. Now hydroxide needs to be neutralized and it's actually neutralized inside the cells of the stomach. Okay. And it's neutralized by hydrogen ions. Right. And when you have hydrogen ion neutralizing hydroxide ion, you end up forming bicarbonate ion, ultimately. And this bicarbonate ion gets thrown into your blood, your gastric venous blood. And what that means is during digestion, your venous blood of your GIT is alkalinic compared to your systemic blood supply. And it's called the alkaline tide. Yeah, that's cool. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And that's probably also why if you have conditions... Does that then go to your... Liver. Pancreas to help with its bicarbonate? Good question. I don't know. It would make sense, kind of, wouldn't it? I would it? assume the pancreas does it itself. Produces its own, synthesizes it, its own within the cell. But with just with the pH um, point, if you have excessive amounts of vomiting, mm-hmm. what are you losing a lot of? Uh, hydrogen ions. And so, if you have excessive vomiting, you may become develop something called metabolic alkalosis. Okay. And if you have excessive amounts of diarrhea, what are you losing a lot of? Uh, Bicarbonate? Yeah, so you can get metabolic acidosis. Wow. So these would be important when you're looking after patients with one or the other. Yeah. I guess if you've got vomiting and diarrhea, it would cancel each other out. Yeah, but But if you've got one or the other. Dehydrated (laughs) and need some electrolytes, methinks. All right, so. So the parietal cells produce acid. Okay. That's the take-home message here. Okay, what, and so where's the enzyme coming from then? All right, so the enzyme comes from another group of cells which sit at the base of this chip, pit, pit uh, called uh, chief cells. So they're the chief. So in actual fact, if you look at this gastric pit, right at the bottom of the pit is going to be the... Um, Pepsi is going to be the chief cells. chief cells. Okay. And a little bit higher on the pit is going to be the parietal cells. Okay. And the reason why is because the chief cells release these proteases called pepsinogen. Which means? So if you have a word in biology that ends in O-G-E-N, it means stored and inactive, which means it needs to be activated. To generate. And the way you activate it is to chop off the O-G-E-N, and that's what it becomes. Hydrochloric acid chops off the O-G-E-N. And becomes- so now it's active? Now it's active and it's called pepsin. Pepsin. So pepsinogen, chop it off, pepsin. Okay, so now with the combination of the acid and that pearl necklace laid out on the on the table, yeah. the enzyme now can come and chop the pearls off one at a time. Yeah, hydrolyzes the bonds between. So in actual fact, anytime you break down a macromolecule into a micromolecule or a macronutrient into a micronutrient, it's hydrolyzation. Yeah. Water's released. Yeah. Because you'll find that that bond is going to be a hydrogen-based bond. Okay. All right? So you hydrolyze the amino acids, release water, but you also end up releasing the individual amino acids. Okay. And that's because of the pepsin. All right. 
So we're starting to break... In the stomach, are we breaking into amino acids or just bigger ones? Like it's a bigger chunks. Both amino acids and some shorter polypeptides. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you do this for a, a period of time, let's say a couple of hours. Yep. And then this meat, this steak that you've eaten. Yeah. It's then, now calm again, like we spoke about. So little bits of steak now uh, exiting your stomach mm. into your... Well, by the time it shouldn't be, I mean, it shouldn't be effectively recognizable as little bits of steak. <laughs> it should be a liquid. Okay. All right. Squirt it into the duodenum, just like the carbs were. Okay. And the same process stimulates the enteroendocrine cells to release CCK and secretin, which go to the pancreas to tell the pancreas acinar cells to release the pancreatic juices, which we said were amylase and this time protease, and that gets squirted in through the pancreatic duct into the duodenum and the proteases, which are a number of different proteases, will hopefully break down the rest of the protein. But here's an important point. The proteases that are released from the pancreas are not in their active form either. So they're all ogens. Yep. So they weren't in their active form in the stomach and they weren't released in their active form in the pancreas. There's a theme here. Why aren't, why aren't the enzymes that break down protein, proteins in their active form when released? What I, I'd imagine that cells are made of proteins. Yeah. Everything's made up of proteins. So if they were active in the cells that release them, those cells would be destroyed and degraded. Okay. This is actually what happens with pancreatitis, is that if the duct is blocked due to a gallstone, for example, all these pancreatic juices accumulate within the duct and within the cells, and they activate themselves. Okay, so what stops the stomach eating itself? There is a bicarbonate, a, a, a mucosal layer of the stomach filled with bicarbonate that creates basically a, a wall that stops the acid from digesting itself. And the other thing is that when the pepsin comes out of the chief cells, or pepsinogen, it's activated by the hydrochloric acid only once it hits the lumen of the stomach. Okay. So once it's out of the gastric pits, it's now activated, but not in the gastric pits. Okay. But there are circumstances where you lose that barrier, yep. and then you will eat your stomach. So there's two that I can think of. So you will eat holes in your stomach, which are called gastric ulcers. So you can either have it because you produce too much acid, or you can have it because you don't produce enough bicarbonate. Okay, why, well, would, you, why would you do that? Okay, so which one do you want to start with? Go with either. Okay, bicarbonate. It means that you're not producing the appropriate membrane or mucous membrane with bicarbonate, often because of uh, an overuse of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Okay, right? so that stops the production of prostaglandins, which is important for... Yeah, especially that, COX-1 inhibition. Which is important for protection. But also, the, the most common cause of stomach ulcers is by bacteria, right? Yeah, so Helicobacter pylori, which often tend to... I might be getting this wrong, but it often tends to love living at the fundus of the stomach, and this is an area that have huge amounts of chief cells and parietal cells and it leads to an overabundance of hydrochloric acid being released oh. and so this overabundance of hcl it could be at the cardiac root it's either at the either at one end or the other i, the I thought it it eroded the mucosal layer rather than produce too much acid it, it does both okay. it does both so in actual fact it reduces the amount of mucus being made but pumps up the proton pumps and produces too much acid, and together that erodes through the layers of the GIT. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
So keep going. We're... Okay, so now we're squirting into the small intestines and we said that the proteases are inactive from the pancreas. Once they get into the um, small intestine, the duodenum, they are activated okay. and, and they're activated by some cells that are there. Yep. Um, enterokinases. Enterokinases, that's right. And they're sitting basically dispersed between the enteroendocrine cells. And so that... One of the first primary reactions is to 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 cause trypsogen, trypsinogen, trypsinogen that's into right. trypsin. Correct. And then I believe there's like a cascade of trypsin that then activates all the others. Correct. And so you got your comma trypsinogen. Yep. And you got your pro carboxypeptidase. Yeah. Pro carboxypeptidases. <laughs> and elastid- elastases. Yeah, elastases to break down, yeah, and the colonages. Yeah. Collagenases, sorry. Yeah. To break down collagen, yeah. So, so this is just big cassette, so they're all now activated, and so now you're basically busting the the, the necklace into its individual pearls. Mm-hmm. What about the brush border cells? Yeah, there's still a degree of hydrolysis in your brush border. And I think like they the release cabo. the same enzymes as the pancreas. So yep, trips but in. because there's so, such an abundance of variety, unlike the carbohydrates, oh, yeah. you can't have the same t- type of Bond enzyme breaker. that will break a specific molecule. It's, it's an abundance of difference. Yeah. So um, it's just a whole lot of proteases which are breaking into amino acids. But you, it's almost it's important to note that you can absorb in a di-amino or tri-amino or even tetra-amino so you can uh. it's not like the carbohydrates that you have to get it into its mono yeah you can absorb some in two three or four amino acid groups oh okay yeah all right and so now it's absorbed into the venous uh the 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 portal, yeah, portal system which goes to your liver yeah and then the amino acids you can do either build up, build up or more proteins so your liver can say we can make some proteins for you or make it into sugars so gluconeogenesis yes Okay, done with proteins? Finish with fats. And I don't think the gut flora of the large intestines really care too much about proteins. Yeah, I'm not sure. So let's finish on the fats. All right. So what are you having here for food? Okay, let's just say I decided uh, it's 11 o'clock at night. I've woken up. I'm hungry. I go to the fridge. I open up the fridge door and and I get a spoonful of butter. (laughs) As you do. As I often do. Because uh, as they say, a spoonful of butter helps the medicine go down. So as that butter's in my oral cavity, there are some... And is the, the medicine you're taking a statin? <laughs> yeah, well, it needs to be. So in the oral cavity, there are some lipases. Not a significant amount, but there are lipases called lingual lipases, and they're released. Remember the three major glands, parotid, sublingual, submandibular? So the sublingual is what releases the lipases. And so this is actually quite important because this lingual lipase is what we call an alkaline lingual lipase. Oh, sorry, an acidic lingual lipase. It only gets activated in a pH less than 4. Now, in the oral cavity, the pH isn't less than 4. And so you don't actually, even though you release the lingual lipase from the sublingual salivary gland, it doesn't actually break down the fats in your mouth. But once it gets down to the stomach the acid activates the lingual lipases to break down fats in the stomach. Okay. Can I just add a couple of points before we continue on? Go for it. Because it's just important. Uh, unlike the other two, the other two were water-soluble. 
fats aren't water soluble. Oh, good point. So the way you transport these in through your gut into your blood mm. is going to be different. Okay. Okay, we'll get to that later right. on. But it's just important that... Remember the other two we've basically broken down into monomers to absorb, transport, absorb. This is going to be different because um, you can't... It doesn't It doesn't dissolve in water. So right. it has to be done through another mechanism. Now, um, some other things just to be... The way that you would get it in your diet, the most common is a long-chain amino acid. Oh, yeah, Sorry, long-chain fats. Yeah, so, long, so this is essentially three fatty acids with a glycerol with... The fat being at least 12 carbons in length. This is a long chain. Long chain. And that could be different depending on the way the carbons are arranged. You can have saturated, yep. which means every single carbon has a hydrogen attached to it. Yeah, unless can, it's bound to another carbon. You could have um, uh, monounsaturated, mono yep. which are more like plant-based. So palmitic acid is an example of saturated uh, oleic acid is an example of monounsaturated. Okay, and then you go into the polyunsaturated, which means you've got more than two yep. carbons that have double bonds. Yep. And things like what? Linoleic, canola? Linoleic acid, yeah, so that's in canola. And then you can describe the double bonds in their arrangement, and this could be things like omegas, mm. omega-3, 6, 9s, which you can get from, say, nuts. And there's one and way you can actually... fish. Yes, yeah, that's right. There's one way that you can tell whether the fat you have in your house is saturated oh, or yes. unsaturated without actually having to look at the container is whether it's liquid at room temperature or solid. So if it's saturated fat, because every carbon is bound to a hydrogen or another carbon, it's a linear molecule, it's, it's flat. And so that means they stack on top of each other really nicely, all these saturated fats, which means it beca- it's solid at room temperature. Like butter. Like butter. So saturated fats are solid at room temperature. Unsaturated fats, mono or poly, because they've got a double bond, it puts a kink in this yeah. molecule, and they don't stack up nicely, which means they end up being liquid at room temperature. Like olive oils. Olive oils, yeah. Okay. So they're, they're either monounsaturated or polyunsaturated fats. Um, and like you said, when we look at these... So, wait, wait, when you look at, say, correct me if I'm wrong here, I always get this mixed up, we can synthetically hydronate uns- unsaturated fats, mm-hmm. like you can make a plant oil and hydronate it, mm-hmm. and so you can make it into a solid, like, this is margarines, right? Yeah. So, they're kind of an artificial polyunsaturated into a saturated, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Okay. And what would we call that? Yeah, I don't know either. Margarine. Is that a trans fat? Well, I think that could be the byproduct, which is potentially a a nasty or maybe the the most nasty. Okay. Um, These. So what we've just spoken about with these fats, they're just the fatty acid component of what we ingest as, which is triglycerides. Yep. So the triglycerides, like you stated earlier, they're three fatty acids with a glycerol backbone. Correct. Now these three fatty acids can be any one of these. Saturated, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated. You can have any arrangement, really, of these three things. Um, And like you said, you can have long-chain fatty acids, medium-chain or short-chain fatty acids. Now, an important point is that the aim is to absorb individual fatty acids or a fatty one fatty acid bound to a glycerol. If there's... Or cholesterol, which we'll get to. Yes. If there's two or more fatty acids bound to a glycerol, it's not going to be absorbed. Okay. Or if it's a really long-chain fatty acid... It's also not going to be absorbed because it's too big to get through the cell. 
Right. Right. So we need to break down the long and medium chains to okay. short chains. So in saying that, we're in the mouth. Well, yeah, there's a few oh. more. We can, we've got plant sterols. That's another type of fat. Oh, yeah. We've got phospholipids, which are quite abundant in our foods because yep. that's anything you eat that's a cell membrane Yeah. will be a phospholipid. Yep. And then you've got your cholesterol. But cholesterol is generally for animal fats, not... So a vegan wouldn't get di- dietary cholesterol. But I think your liver will make cholesterol okay. because cholesterol is an important um, byproduct within bile. Yeah. And bile gets squirted into your duodenum, and so you have an abundance amount of cholesterol from the biliary duct or the biliary tract, regardless if you're a, a meat eater or not. And cholesterol sits within cell membranes yeah. to, to maintain that fluid mosaic structure. Yep. yep. Okay, so done the mouth. Right. Moving no, down. I haven't done the mouth yet. I thought you'd done your life. No, no, so I said there's lingual lipase. Um, there's not heaps of it, but it is quite potent once it gets to the stomach. Now, the good thing about lingual lipase is that it breaks down the medium and long chain triglycerides, which is good so that by the time it's at the intestines, it can be absorbed because it'll be a short chain. So your right? butter is already bro- getting broken down? Once it's in the stomach, okay. even though lingual lipase has been released. Now, the long chain triglycerides, like I said, they can't be absorbed by the intestines. About 30% of fat is hydrolyzed or broken down within 1 to 30 minutes of ingestion by these lingual lipases and also by what we're going to talk about next as gastric lipases. I didn't even know there was any. Yeah. So lingual lipase, oral cavity, swallow, down the esophagus, into the stomach. Like I just said, there is lingual lipases within the stomach and they're released by chief cells. They're the ones that release pepsinogen. And these gastric lipases, they're predominantly found in chief cells that are at the fundus of the stomach. So it's the roof, right? Yep. Uh, and so this is the second type of acidic lipase, which means it needs to be in an acidic environment to break down the fats. Like I said, lingual lipases and gastric lipases are responsible for 30% of the fat breakdown, which is very important. The problem, though, with these acidic lipases is this. They only remove a single fatty acid from the triglyceride, which leaves... So what you end up getting in that equation is a right. single fatty acid and a diglyceride or diacylglyceride Mm -hmm. okay problem is you can't absorb the diacylglycerides so the acidic lipases while they're good at breaking fats down they won't get us to where we need to be for full absorption okay right okay from the stomach we squirt 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 into the small intestines same process as chyme stimulates enteroendocrine cells to release CCK and secretin. CCK travels to the acinar cells. They stimulate the release of pancreatic juices, which is amylase, proteases, and now lipases through the pancreatic duct into the duodenum. We've also got secretin stimulating bicarbonate to neutralize the acid coming through. But because of fats, like you said, it's not water-soluble. What happens when fat meets fat? What happens when you meet another large friend of yours? We join? You come together, you hug. (laughs) Fat likes to accumulate in these things called mycelles or misseals. Okay, so I like to think of it like, imagine you're washing up at the end of the night, end of your meal, Mm. and you have a fatty meal, and if you let the water sit from that wash up before you add any detergent... You mean let the oil sit? Yeah. It all accumulates at the top of the water in a big blob. Yes. So it's kind of all joined together. Yes. Hates the water, so it comes together to avoid it. So this is kind of like what's in your intestine at the moment. 
That's so, right. So you need to bust it up into little droplets or yep. disperse and emulsify. Emulsify is the key term. And so... Do the lipases do this? It's going to be very hard for them to do it because they're so much of the bulk of that fat is protected in the middle. My, and, my and analogy is this, right? This is what I use for my students. If you've been given a ball of wool and a pair of scissors and they say chop up the ball of wool, it's really difficult to just get the scissors into the ball into of wool. Into like one millimetre bits. Yeah. So it's easy to unravel the ball of wool and then chop it up into individual little pieces. Okay. So we need to unravel it or emulsify it. Yeah. So what's, what's going to do this before our lipases can come along? You need a detergent. Okay, so you just go to the cupboard and have a shot of morning, morning fresh. Morning fresh, yeah. No, almost, don't do that. Almost, but you, don't even say almost. Which um, your liver does it for you, so right. you don't need to drink it. Your liver will give it as a friend for you. Okay. Okay, and so whilst the liver's always making this bile, so it's called bile. Okay, it's right. called bile, which is a mixture of a lot of things, like bile acids plus the breakdown products of red blood cell destruction. It's mainly water. And certain things that the, the liver has detoxified and wants to excrete. Water, salts, cholesterol, bilirubin. And so, whilst you're not eating fat, it's stored for a later time, and this is going to be in your gallbladder. So, your gallbladder is just sitting there concentrating this detergent. All right. And so, when this fatty meal comes along and you have CCK secreted, mm-hmm. CCK will go up to the gallbladder. Because cholecystokinin basically means gallbladder... Contract. Contract. Activate. It will start squeezing the gallbladder, which spurts it off, which goes down into your pancreas that joins the, the main pancreatic duct, and then it gets pu- pushed out into that fatty meal. All right. In your case, just that tablespoon of butter. Delicious. So it will start, just like using the detergent to wash up your dishes, it will break that big glob into very small... Mini globules. Yeah. My cells. And that gives a greater amount of surface area for the lipases to work on. But the lipases won't work unless we have something called colipase coming into play. All right. And again, that's released by the duodenum. So we've got bile salts breaking it down. Now we can get the colipase and lipase to come along. And what it does is it chops the fatty acids off the glycerol backbone. This is what the pancreatic lipases do. And what it does is it will chop off two fatty acids. Of the three. Okay. So what we are left with are free fatty acids and a monoglyceride. Okay. And, it, and there's also cholesterol there as well. Totally. Cholesterol's basically been untouched throughout this whole process. Okay. Now, as the free fatty acids and monoglycerides and cholesterol are moving through the small intestines, it's different to what we've spoken about with the carbs and proteins. They were absorbed by the small intestines into the portal system to go to the liver. Mm-hmm. Here, what you're going to find is that the microvilli and villi of the small intestines have these little lymphatic structures throughout them called lacteals. And they actually absorb monoglycerides, fatty acids, and cholesterol into the lymphatic system. Okay, in that form, or does your cells have to repackage them first? Correct. So, once it goes from the lumen of the small intestines into the enterocytes, so the cells of the small intestines, they get repackaged up into triglycerides and cholesterol, and then they get thrown into the lymphatic system. As? As something called chylomicrons by the Golgi apparatus. Okay. Yep. So, unlike the the, um, carbohydrate and the proteins, 
they get transported across the cells, the enterocytes, into blood through transporters. Correct. Because they're water soluble. Mm-hmm. But because fats are fat soluble, they can kind of just slide through the membranes. Yeah. Because, because they fat. are fat and membranes are fat. Yeah. And they go into pH fat. They go into they go into the cells of your intestines, particularly the smooth endoplasmic reticulum. Yeah. Which kind of repackages it with the help of the Golgi into collomicrons, which then get secreted into your lacteals, yeah. your lymph, lymph, and that gets taken all the way, so it doesn't go to your liver at this point, no. it goes all the way up, kind of up into your neck, mm-hmm. which then jumps into your venous system, which is now in your Systemic. blood. It's now in your blood, yeah. and then eventually it'll probably get to your liver. Yeah, so basically to- the chylomicrons will drop off the fat. Right, okay. we'll drop off the monoglycerides and fatty acids into your adipocytes, yep. and then these empty chylomicrons with cholesterol will drop it back off to the liver. Great. All right. So that's all three. That's all three, and I think I think that that's you don't want to do good. a final re- recap with I your hamburger. I don't think so. <laughs> I think we've. we've I, was, done... I was looking forward to that. Okay, so here's my. <laughs> this is Michael's recap. I take a bite of a hamburger that has the three macronutrients: proteins, fats, and carbs. In the mouth. Carbs are broken down and fats begin to be broken down. So amylases, lipases in the, amylases, in the saliva? Lipases in the saliva. No protein. No protein. Okay. Swallow it down the esophagus, the conduit into the stomach. In the stomach now. In the stomach, no amyl- no carbs are broken down. So very lim- limited. Proteins are broken down. Okay, through pepsin and hydrochloric acid. Yeah. And then... And the lingual lipases are now activated to be broken down, plus the gastric lipases have been activated to break down 30% of the fats. Which is your butter on the, the bun. Yep. Uh, and then that gets squirted as chyme into the duodenum, which stimulates enteroendocrine cells to release CCK and secretin. Both travel to the pancreas to release all the pancreatic juices, which can which are the amylases, proteases, and lipases. Plus the bile. Plus the bile by the CCK, telling the gallbladder to contract. The bile with the lipases break down the fats. The amylases... Into the three form of a monoglyceride, free fatty acids, and cholesterol. Cholesterol was already there, so it wasn't which, broken down, but monoglycerides and free fatty acids. Which then gets repackaged into colomicron, yep. lacteal body. Yep. Amylase breaks down the rest of the carbs, and then the carbs as disaccharides get broken down by the brush border enzymes into the brush border cells, into the portal system, goes to the liver. In its three monosaccharide form being glucose, fructose, and galactose. Yep. And then the proteins, they're broken down into amino acids, either individual amino acids or di, tri, maybe quad, by the proteases, which were inactive when they're released by the pancreas, but then activated once in the duodenum. And then they further get broken down by the brush border enzymes and absorbed into the brush border cells and then into the portal system that goes to the liver, and because you had um, a milkshake with it and you're lactose intolerant, the, the lactose from the milk isn't broken down, goes to your large bowel, your bacteria have a party, and you have to visit the toilet two hours later. Correct. <laughs> Good ending. <laughs> There's no better way to end food than in the toilet. Matthew, thanks, mate. Thank you, sir. See ya. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.